Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. 1 John, and we're going to start with a little bit um, extra reading today. So we've been in the, in the book of 1 John. We first started in the Gospel of John and then we went into 1 John a couple weeks ago. We had a missionary from China here last week, and that's online if you, wanted, if you missed that and wanted to hear um, a little bit more. Uh, but today we're in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him, but if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Okay, so this is how we know we are in him. I want you to think of, I titled this pop quiz. Okay, we're going to look at some of these. I put them into questions by the end of uh, our time together today, and we're going to examine ourselves. This is how we know, okay? Whoever claims... To live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yes, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Okay, that sounds a little confusing because it talks about an old command and a new command, and then it repeats itself. So what's happening here? So John walked with Jesus. This is a writing of an eyewitness. This is the beloved disciple. This is the one that Jesus laid his head onto his chest. John, uh, you know, we, we talked about how, why would John say, this is I, John, who wrote this, when he can say, I am the beloved of Jesus. Wouldn't you rather be known as the one whom Jesus loved than just be John, just regular old John? I don't know about you, but I would sure like to say, yeah, I was the one Jesus loved. That's who wrote this. You know, that'd be great, right? And so here, when he's talking about an old command, John, by this time, is getting up there in in years, and he is known as the apostle of love. I mean, when we look into this book, we see how much he talks about love. And so he is telling, by this time, this is an old command to them. He's not talking about the Old Testament in this context. He's talking about this is an old command, but it's still a new one, that you must love one another. Love one another. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whomever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Again, love. Love is something, and this is something that is not comfortable for anybody who on earth says, love your enemies, pray for your enemies. Well, Jesus did. Our leader, the person that we believe and that we know is God. Jesus, sent from God, is giving us a message saying, you know what, even if they do terrible things to you, you pray for them. You know, what's really interesting is you never find in the Bible that it says you must like somebody. My, my wife, when we had first gotten married, she, she looked at me and she said something that at that time, and I was young and I didn't know what love was, I just knew that I really liked her, 
Uh, so it was a lot of like, maybe that's what love is. And she said to me, and this was like two weeks before we got married, she said, will you love me when you don't like me so much? And, you know, I, I usually like to respond quickly, but that one, like, took the words out of my mouth. I had to sit there and go, I never really thought of love like that. Oh, man, I'm in deeper than I thought, and I still got married, you know? <clears throat> but there's so much truth to that. You know, the Bible doesn't say you need to like everybody, but, you know, when, when there's somebody that maybe rubs me the wrong way, and, of course, not here, but... If there was somebody that you know, rubbed me the wrong way, I, I go, Lord, man, I am really having trouble right now, but I know that this person is an image bearer of you, okay? They are created in the image of God, and for whatever reason, I'm having some trouble here. Maybe it's me, and um, so I know that you look on this person, and you see your son, Jesus. You see the image, and you love them. Would you show me a piece of them? Would you show me love out of them so I can respond better? Again, it doesn't say, hey, you need to like everybody. The Bible is saying we need to love one another and understand that we are created in the image of God. And when we hate somebody that is created in the image of God, there is now disunity with our Savior. Now, let's, I'm going to create something here and just to understand that there are people that hurt us. There are people that damage us. There are people that, in, in all truth, they deserve our hate, right? Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me stop here for a second, we deserve punishment of death. We deserve it. We have sinned. We, we've broken the law. However, by Christ's grace, by Christ's mercy, he was sacrificed for our sins so that, so that we may have peace with God. And so when we are looking at somebody that has damaged us, again, it doesn't mean that we need to like them. It doesn't mean that we have to be best friends. But it means that I need to find a way to say, Lord, this is my enemy. This is somebody who has caused me deep hurt. And I need your help to forgive them. And if you're anything like me, and if somebody's hurt you, sometimes you have to forgive them again and again, and things kind of come up because you're upset, and you say, Lord, I still need help forgiving them. Lord, I still need help forgiving them. And I want to tell you something, that the Lord will see that, and the Lord will honor you. But by forgiving, you are reflecting who Jesus is. You are following Christ. I didn't have that in here today, but it's definitely for somebody. Verse 12. Now, I always love it. When, uh, we, when we read and say, I am writing this because. And I, I, my, my ears perk up, my eyes get a little wider, I start underlining it. But what's confusing, well, maybe not confusing, but in chapter 2, John says this a lot. I'm writing this because. So in, in the very beginning, verse, uh, in, I didn't, we didn't read this because we read it two weeks ago, uh, chapter 2, it says, I write this to you, verse 1, so you will not sin. Okay, underline that. I'm writing to this, this to you so you don't sin. Okay, that's a good note. So now we have, again, starting in verse 12, I write this to you, dear children, because you have, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, on account of Jesus' name. 13, I write this to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. 
So you're older in your age. By this time, you should know who God is. I write this to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. So it's just really interesting here, and this isn't just a thought from Pastor Dale here. This is, um, theologians have, have talked about this. Is it is, it's interesting how he's really going through, um, we, can, we can get caught up with the idea of, okay, he's talking about kids, he's talking about young men, and he's talking about fathers. Or you can look at this as that he's talking about generations. That young people, this is something that they need to know. And with each age comes different graces. With each age comes things that we struggle with, sins that are going to be a little bit more easy to be able to grab us. So with our young kids, what do we see there? With our young adults and our that age, what do we see there? And what do we see as they get older? Jumping to verse uh, 14. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. That's repetition. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Isn't it interesting? He's talking about the young men overcoming. You are strong. You have overcome those desires and those things that are so prevalent upon young people who chase the flesh. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. This verse really, really has, uh, it's hard. This is hard, it's hard. I mean, we enjoy earthly things, don't we? God created us. God created us to live here and to steward this earth, to steward our relationships and one another. And I think sometimes as Christians, we've, sometimes gotten so focused on something else that we lose fact that he actually wants us to live our lives too. He wants you to be present with your families. He wants you to be present with your jobs and the ways that, that he's asked you to, to steward you. The gifts and talents and abilities that you have, those are to be enjoyed and to be cherished. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If any one loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, and comes not from the Father, from the world, does not come from the Father, but from the world. Trying to wear contacts for the first time in a long time, so I'm kind of, I think I'm getting older, friends. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some bifocals. The world and the desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that this is the last hour. Okay, so really quick, for those of you who have been taught about the Antichrist, this is the only place in Scripture where it's now talking about a bunch of Antichrists. So uh, those of you that have a Christian background, there's maybe a lot of um, you know, scary talk about somebody who is going to come and who's going to deceive many, and it's, it's the sign of the last days before Christ comes. And so we, we see a lot, and there's a lot of warnings in Scripture about the Antichrist. And in here, we're seeing all these little comments about there's a lot of little Antichrist. And so we're going to look at here how John is trying to point out people who've come into the church and disrupted the church. They're, they got different ideas. They did not remain in Christ. And then they're going and trying to deceive Christians who are going to that same church and trying to deceive them and pull them out. And so John is using very harsh end times language and he's calling them little Antichrist. There's been many 
Antichrist. And he goes even further here as we read on. Verse 19. They went out from us. So again, these are people. They went out from us, meaning he's directly talking about people in the church. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained. Say remain. With us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth. So there again, I write to you, right? He's writing because you do know the truth. But because you do know it and because no lie comes from truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains, say remains, in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us even eternal life. I am writing these things to you. Again, you're paying attention, right? I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, he's now saying, you don't need anybody to teach you. Now, one could run away from that and go, well, I don't even need a teacher anymore. I'm saved. Okay, John is teaching us right now. Okay, but what he's trying to point out here is that those people who had left, who have now come back because they have a new profound knowledge, and we talked about that we're going to touch on in just a minute. They have this new profound knowledge, and John is saying, listen, remain in what you were taught from the beginning. And at this point, you don't need any teachers. You know this. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught to you, remain in him. And then it goes to the next verse. It says, and now, dear children, continue in him. I think this is, uh, it's quite... Uh, explanatory, right? I mean, the repetition, what John is telling us. So today, um, I, I called this pop quiz. The dreaded pop quiz is enough to make a whole classroom moan in, in unison, uh, produce anxiety that's almost palpable. I mean, you're just like, oh my goodness. And some of you remember, and I know this is a different day and age, but when your teacher would say, uh, pull out a piece of paper and a pencil, you could just hear that that panicked gasp, your stomach just tightens up, and you're like, oh my goodness, a pop quiz. I remember I never, I didn't know what a pop quiz was, so there's got to be a first time to learn something, right? So I was in Cavalier Public School, um, and I think there were 500 people from kindergarten all the way through our senior, you know, and we're all pretty much one building, right? It's a small town in North Dakota, and and um, school is, you know, starting, and I'm young, and all of a sudden I hear, get out a, you know, pencil and piece of paper. I'm like super stoked. Sweet, okay, I can do this. Following directions. Number one, answer. All of a sudden that gut feeling of now pop quiz is not as exciting as I thought that it was supposed to be. 
But, you know, a teacher, it's a, it's a great way for measuring, right? A teacher is able to um, see, are my students doing what was assigned to them? Are they doing what is right in order to get a passing grade in my class? And for a teacher, it's also saying, hey, how am I doing? Here is a pop quiz. Now, quizzes aren't all bad. Um, author Pastor Greg Laurie offers some following advice about whether or not you're growing old. So I thought that was good, right? So you know you're growing old if you actually look forward to a dull evening at home. Do you pass or fail? <laughs> uh, you know you're getting old when, you, uh, when your mind makes comments your body can't keep. For those of you who don't know, I broke my leg this winter, and uh, I did some things my mind thought I could do that my body couldn't, yeah, that, those things happen. You know you're getting old when you sink your teeth into a big juicy steak and they stay there. You know you're getting old when you dim the lights for, your, uh, for economic reasons and not for romantic ones. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you've owned clothes for so long that they've come back into style. Twice. You know you're getting old when you sing along to the elevator music. Yep. You know, so there, there's quizzes that we can take that aren't all bad, right? And so for the sake of this morning and for whatever reason, I went against all my better judgment and I did something I've never done before. I went on BuzzFeed and I took some of those social media quizzes. You know, people post results on, on stuff. Now, if you don't know anything that I'm saying right now, I want to let you know that you are a much better human being than the rest of us. If you don't know what these quizzes are, I'm just letting you know. So uh, my first test that I took was, which of the 10 plagues in the Old Testament best describes my Starbucks order? <laughs> and, and since I chose to be sitting by myself, and, uh, and I was in the middle of the afternoon, and I was drinking Americano with no syrup or cream, um, my Old Testament plague was turning water into blood. The next quiz I took, because I know tacos are a love language, um, I decided to take the test, which taco best describes my personality. And um, based on my spice level, and uh, I chose out of the four countries they, they gave me to choose from, I chose Japan, um, my result was steak tacos. And I never ordered steak tacos, so I went back and I retook the test until I got fish tacos and so you know that's a really good test. And then number three, um, I did this for our younger people here, our younger generations. Um, the, so it was, if you had a YouTube career, what would you be famous for? And so I, my son loves YouTube and, and all these things, so I thought, this is a good one, you know? And it told me that I was going to be the biggest vlogger. So a vlogger is like video blogs or kind of like a video by telling stories, if you want to think of it that way, um, that I am going to be the biggest vlogger of all time. And so I told my son this, and he took that time to tell me how that's never going to happen. <laughs> so what does this have to do with the church? What does this have to do with the Bible? What does this have to do with Jesus or anything for that matter, right? Well, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Paul, Paul writes, this is the apostle that wrote two-thirds of, of the New Testament, and he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. 
Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? We are supposed to examine our lives. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. These are things that we are supposed to go to Christ, that we are supposed to examine our lives as Christians. And listen, this is definitely not a thing of shame coming here because we all know that we get distracted. I mean, you just look at the Bible. The Bible is full of distractions. Jesus is dealing with disciples that are easily distracted. He couldn't get them to pray for him before his crucifixion. His disciples are talking about who's going to be number one in heaven and who's going to be number two. His disciples are worrying about the religious leaders and all of these things. They're getting distracted by the things of their culture and their life at that time. Jesus was constantly helping them and bringing them along, getting them on the path to help them examine their own lives to make sure they're with Christ. Now, the best visual illustration that I can think of, I've probably used it before, is canoeing. Because when, when I first canoed, I thought, oh, this is kind of fun, kind of tippy. You know, you're kind of gaining your understanding of if you're going to fall over or what you can and can't do. And I thought, oh, this is super easy, you know, and you're just going and, and you're just kind of willy-nilly all over the place. And I remember this guy, he said, who'd been canoeing for a long time, he goes, you need to pick a point on the other side of the lake or wherever you're going to go, something fixed, like a dock, um, a tree, a house, something that will not move. Pick your point. And then you start going towards it. And, and you know, lakes are, especially, they look like it looks fairly close, but then you're going for a while, and you get distracted. Oh, look at that wave. You know, I better kind of move over a little bit, or, oh, look at that. Oh, that's really cool. That's really pretty. And you're all of a sudden, look, look at that house. Hey, look at that house. That's amazing, you know? And next thing you knew, you're like, oh, oh yeah, I had a point out there. Where is that thing? And you're like looking, and it's way over there. And then you're like, oh my goodness. And you're trying, you know, to get back, and then, you know, if you're like a canoe, then you're, you know, trying to figure out what side to go on. You're all over the place. And the moment you take your eyes off of that fixed destination, you are going to begin to veer to the right or to the left. And this is, this is why, I mean, we look at big things that happen in our lives. I mean, job changes, moving, different schools that you had to go to, divorce, separation, death. I mean, all these type of Life things are major waves that come and put us off course. And it is so difficult. Even when life is good, it's difficult to stay focused on that fixed object who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. In God's unrelenting mercy and grace, he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit and through his scripture to keep us rowing into the right direction. And his grace is available even when we are distracted. This is why saying this could be a really heavy burden. Oh, Lord, I'm so distracted. Oh, God. Yeah, and, or you say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you've brought this to my attention. Lord, help me to stay focused. 
Lord, help me to cry out to you. Lord, help me to look right now at, at that fixed object who is Jesus Christ, and Lord, help me not to veer off again. Lord, keep me, Lord Jesus. For those that weren't here a couple weeks ago, 1 John is dealing with people that were once a part of this local church, but they started to believe in teachings that began to separate the church in a, in a huge way. And in, I, I think I shared this too. In, in university, I had a professor that said, this is the single most uh, and the biggest issue that almost destroyed the New Testament church, and that was Gnosticism. Um, to be Gnostic, the Greek word is for knowledge. That's where we get the word knowledge of, in, in Gnosticism. Gnosticism had this dualistic view of reality that was spirit, and then there was material. So there were, there were two main things. And anything that had, was made of material um, was evil, and anything spiritual was good. And so there was this idea that when you got to know and, and have these understandings of, of your spirit, they would like do these spiritual guides and you would have special knowledge and special wisdom to be able to do things in your spirit, man, all while your body, it didn't matter. And so these people would do harmful and terrible things to their bodies or they would just follow whatever desires they want. So you can see how attractive that would be coming into the church and saying, listen, I got this new way is that you don't necessarily have to go through this Jesus. Jesus was good. He was spirit. So that's all good and stuff, but then they would say, well, he couldn't actually come in the flesh. God can't put on flesh because it's material and material is evil. So they would make up and create ideas of who Jesus was. Maybe he was a hologram. Maybe they had somebody like stand in for him, but it just couldn't have been Jesus. And so this teaching was coming in and pouring into the church and they were trying to sway out the believers. So this is why we have so many uh, words and repetition of remain. You've got to remain. You don't need these other people coming in telling you what to do. You have the teaching from when you were young. You know from the beginning who God is. Hold on to that. This was a dangerous, dangerous teaching, and boy, is it relevant for us today, isn't it? There is teaching that is coming, but let me tell you something. The biggest and the most dangerous teaching is in the church. And so much of our time as Christians, and if you're not a Christian and you're here today, we're so glad that you're here as you work things out and try and figure out uh, who God is. But let me tell you something. As Christians, we've spent so much time trying to attack the world that we don't even examine ourselves or the people around us. And I'm going to show you this right now. And this is, um, you can, if somebody's starting to fall asleep, I want you to just give them a little elbow and because, man, this is, this is so stinking important for us today, okay? So, Paul, again, here, here's Paul. And in Ephesians 5, I'm going to start at verse 3. But among you, say among you. Okay, so within, right? Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, joy. For of this you can be sure no moral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. 
Therefore, do not be partners with them. Okay, so Paul writes this in Ephesians. And all of a sudden, look at this. This is another book that he wrote, 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 9. He has to come back to this. Look at this. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Right? We just read that, right? You with me? Okay, still paying attention? Hit somebody if you need to. Okay. Not at all meaning. Now, he's, he's making sure that we know what he's talking about. Not at all meaning the people of this world. Stop. Right? Stop right there. Wait, say that again. Not meaning the people of this world. Okay. Who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or adulterers? He said, in that case, you would have to leave this world. You can't even be here. But now I am writing this to you. Again, we're paying attention. I'm writing this to you. Why? That you must not associate anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an adulterer, a slander, a drunkard, swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? God will judge those outside and then expel those among you that are living this way and claiming still to be Christ followers. This is a really big message for us to grab a hold of, friends. We are, for some reason, thought it was our job to try and make people who are not followers of Christ into moral beings or something. Paul is saying, that's God's thing over there. We ourselves need to make sure that we are examining ourselves and we are in the faith. So you think of who did Jesus hang out with? Who was Jesus spending time with? He wasn't taking all of his time to try and win over the Pharisees. Some of them met him by night and some of them joined a meal. But he was going after the sinners. And then once people of this world have been exposed to who God is and the Spirit of God and who Christ is, then they are one of us and we are helping them and discipling them along the way to get to know who Jesus Christ is. What business is of mine to judge the outside world? Wow. Black sheep do black sheep things. Why does that surprise us? Sinners sin. Why should that surprise us? What should surprise us is when we, the church, don't look any different than the world. That's what should surprise us. Now, Paul goes a step further and he helps those of us who have sinned before. And I, right? Am I, okay, I'll, I guess I'm the only sinner here. Okay, I'll take that. But what if we do sin? Is there hope for us? Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... 
you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, thank you, gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in that way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love one another. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you're fulfilling the law of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are caught in sin, we don't just go, oh, can't eat with them. Sorry. No, we gently try and restore, and we try and help people along the way. And I am very grateful in my own life when I have veered off to the right or to the left that I was gently restored and the love of Christ and his grace and his mercy was there for me. Can we do likewise? So let's ask ourselves some questions based on chapter 1, or John 1, verse 2. This is the pop quiz, so get out your pens and your paper. Just kidding, don't, you're good. So do you say that you know Jesus, but not do what he commands? That's the first question. Do you claim to be in the light, but hate your brothers, sisters, friends, co-workers? So here's a question only really you can answer. Are you remaining in him? Now, it's really popular to talk about don't judge, don't judge. Again, Paul here is saying don't judge the world. But we're supposed to judge ourselves, right? And also, the Bible tells us that you can see by their fruits. So if we are friends, if we are family, if we are part of the body of Christ, and our fruit of the spirit that we've read and we know about is not reflecting who Christ is and what it means to me as, as a believer, can I, in a, in a gentle way, come and talk to you and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing this fruit. Is, is everything okay? Is that judgy, judging? Well, I guess so. Seems pretty scriptural to me. John also wants you to remember who you are and the authority, the authority that you have as a Christ follower. You are not weak, impotent, and frail. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. Just by the definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ, you are an overcomer. Just, just like it said, do you realize that you have overcome the evil one, young men? Do you remember that what you learned about God in the beginning, do you still know him? I'm just reading 1 John chapter 2 back to you again. Do you know that you are not weak? Do you know that greater is he that is in you than is in the world? That you are strong and the word of God is in you? Do you love the world more than you love God? 
So let me ask you a question, and, and I'm basing this off of the scripture we read as well. Which God of this world is trying to lead you astray? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Can you answer that sincerely this morning for yourself? Really, that sums up where our sins are, doesn't it? We cannot be ignorant about such things. The Bible tells us this many times. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I used to say to my parents, well, so-and-so are doing it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've used that one, right? Now as a parent, <laughs> I hear that exact same thing. And then you hear your parents come out of your mouth. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm like, parents. <clears throat> So-and-so can go. And what, what, what's a good response to that? Yeah, that's right. I'm not their parents. Our, our constant joke with our kids is there's, there's counseling for that. I'm not responsible for those other kids' decisions, but I am responsible for my own. Might not be perfect, but I'm doing the best that I can. And I think in, in the same way, we, we have a tendency of doing that in our relationship with God. Well, so-and-so is doing this. Well, I know that I probably shouldn't be doing it, but I know they're doing it, so I guess it's okay. And, you know, as, as believers, uh, Paul talks a lot about our conscience. And when things go against our conscience, and we do it anyway, it's sin. But yet, we've desensitized ourselves in a way that we look at what other people are doing, and we think, well, Johnny's doing it, so it should be okay for me too. And as believers... We are to be people of the word. We are to be people of prayer. We are to be people that love Christ. And as we follow him, he is guiding us and he is directing us. And so my question for you today is, have you examined yourselves lately? Would you please stand? The importance, yeah, come on up. The importance that John puts on remaining in Christ so for those of you who know the scripture, you're probably already thinking of, of the Gospel of John, chapter 15. This is one of the most pastoral chapters in the entire Bible where Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. I am the vine and you are the branches. And, and if you're not remaining in Christ, we are then cut off so that others can grow and so that the, the vine and the branches stay healthy. As people of the word, as people who follow Christ, it is imperative that you examine yourselves. And I get it. Life is busy. I'm busy. You're busy. We're trying to 
do the best that we can to follow Christ and to live in the way that he's put before us. And it is hard and it is distracting. And sometimes the weight of the world just is, is drowning to us. But yet, we are called to remain in him. So we're going to just take a moment right now. Just a time of quiet reflection before the Lord. And let's invite the Holy Spirit right now to come just examine our lives and our hearts. Heavenly Father, we're just going to take a moment together as a community and, and ask the question, Lord, are we remaining in you? Are we veering to the left or to the right, Lord Jesus? You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.